Hi, this is Carl. We're excited to announce Microsoft's newest developer service called Azure Pipelines, a fully managed CI-CD platform for any app, language, or cloud. Azure Pipelines is integrated with GitHub through their CI Marketplace and free for open source projects with 10 concurrent jobs and unlimited build minutes for their cloud-hosted Linux, Mac OS, and Windows agents. Learn all the details by visiting azure.com slash pipelines. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And I'm at Pop Studios. I got some really cool stuff that I'm working on, dude. Oh, what you working on? Have you seen, you, they're all, it's all over Facebook and everywhere, this thing called Sling Studio? I have not seen Sling Studio, though you sent me a note the other day saying, look at this, and I haven't looked at it. So there you go. So basically, you know, if you want to do a four camera shoot somewhere, yep. and Donovan knows this because he's like at Channel 9 where they have, you know, everything that God just smiles on them. They've got <laughs> multi-million dollar stuff, but. For the rest of us, right, if you're going to do a four-camera shoot, what you usually do is everybody starts at relatively the same time recording, and then you got these SD cards, and you got to sync them all up, and you got to put them together and edit them, and it's a real painstaking process. Now, if you want to do a live stream where you're switching cameras on the fly, now you have to get some kind of $4,000 HDMI switcher, and that's the cheap one, right? The TriCaster type thing. Yeah, the TriCaster type thing. Yeah. And those get expensive. Mm-hmm. So, this Sling Studio, you can get started for about, I don't know, $1,200, $1,300. It says it starts at $999, but, but that's just for the unit. So, it, basically, you connect the cameras via Wi-Fi. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, every camera has this thing that fits on top of the shoe. And the HDMI out goes into it, and then it connects to an iPad app. And yes, it's either an iPad or a Mac, you know, MacBook or whatever, Mac. Apple only, yeah. Apple only. But you can take any phone that has a camera and Wi-Fi and connect to it and use that as a source too. But you can only have four sources. So basically, you've got these wireless cameras everywhere. And then in the iPad app or the Mac app, you can switch them on the fly just by tapping to do the switches. Wild. And the app streams live to YouTube, and it also records on either an SD card or an external hard drive. And get this, this is so co- I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not being paid by these guys. I think it's so cool. Then you can basically take those files and import them into Premiere, and they're already edited. Like, the, you can see the edits. You don't have to do any editing. They're already edited, but you can change them. You can, you know, tweak it. Cool. That saves so much time. Not only do you get this live broadcasting thing, but you can record four camera shoots, do most of the editing on the fly, and a little bit of tweaking after, and it's really cheap. So that's what I've been playing with. Wow. You should have done this as a better Noah framework. You know what? I think that is going to be my better Noah framework. No, I'm just kidding. I got actually something really fun for better Noah framework. Okay. So roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? Waffle generator. Does it make waffles? No. That's a shame. I could always use a waffle. It means waffling in the sense of BSing your way through something. So, this is a project on GitHub (laughs) from Simon Crop. 
called Waffle Generator. It produces text, which on first glance looks like real ponderous prose replete with cliches. For example, the aesthetic of economico-social disposition. Quote, in this regard, comma, the underlying surrealism of the take-home message should not divert attention from the aesthetic of economico-social disposition. And then a quote, Humphrey Yokomoto in the Journal of the Total Entative Item 20044UU. Okay. On any rational basis, a particular factor, such as the functional baseline, the analogy of object, the strategic requirements, or the principle overriding programming provides an interesting insight into the complementary functional derivation. This trend may dissipate due to the mensurable proficiency. <laughs> All right. There's a lot of 75 cent words in there. It's lorem ipsum made ponderous. That's exactly it. it so if you, <laughs> so you want to entertain the crew... With instead of using the lorem ipsum standard Latin stuff, you can just that's funny. Use the waffle generator. It's another way to have fun at work. There you go. Ways to torment people. I like it. That's what I got. Who who are you talking to? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show fourteen thirty two, which we did with Donovan back in April of twenty seventeen, talking about DevOps pipelines back when he was doing his I can build you four different delivery pipelines in an hour. Yep, which is you know. <laughs> That was last year's stunt. That was amazing. And this comment actually comes from Jonathan Gallagher, who had was actually responding to a comment that I had read of his from a previous show of Donovan's when he was talking about, look, it doesn't matter what language is, you can put it through VSTS. Like, you can do all of those things. And, and Jonathan's like, any language? Really? How about <laughs> Pearl? <laughs> and of course, Donovan's like, you can, but would you want to? No, he said <laughs> languages. <laughs> Yes, we were talking about languages. And so Jonathan's response to our previous response to his comment, and this is about a year ago now, it says, thanks for the fun show, guys. I read that comment that you made and your response had me cracking up straight through downtown traffic. I will say that I was specifically talking about VSTS integration because I know you can always have external apps being called to and from various parts of VSTS. He then goes down a line of not mocking Pearl, saying, don't worry, Pearl does have testing frameworks. They just don't work. No, wait, that's not what he says. <laughs> oh, yeah, a couple of tools for testing, and there's a code coverage tool, but that tool doesn't work, or at least he can't get it figured out. Yeah. But goes on to say, I've done some work trying to bring the DevOps goodness into my work life, and as long as you don't mind pushing all the testing right to the release point, VSTS can handle Perl in part by running PowerShell on the remote server to handle the testing. It sounds like VSTS and TFS work great for any sane or semi-sane language choice. I'm trying to figure out what the semi-sane is. That's interesting to me. But if Donovan wants to claim that VSTS works with absolutely any language, I want to see it work for at least one of the two crazy options like Perl or even COBOL. Well, there's a COBOL.net. There it's is. still supported by Fujitsu. Yep. We could do that. Yeah, that's... That, is, that would be an easy one. Yeah. And he wraps up by saying, for myself, it's been over two years now, so it's probably time for me to escape my imperial insanity. I'm looking forward to having more normal problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I did go back through my email and look up every time we sent John a, a mug, and we've sent him like three of them, but we don't send out mugs anymore. Now we send out copies of Music to Code By. Yeah. So, John, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you, and if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, Write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook 
And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy to Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We pour maple syrup over him with extra butter. <laughs> well, some of us do. <laughs> some of us do. All right, let's bring on Donovan. You heard him in the green room there commenting. Donovan Brown is a principal program manager for DevOps in the developer division at Microsoft, focusing on developer tools, including Visual Studio Team Services and Team Foundation Server. Before joining Microsoft, Donovan spent years as a process consultant and certified Scrum Master. He's traveled the globe helping companies in the U.S., Canada, India, Germany, and the U.K. develop solutions using agile practices in industries like communications, healthcare, energy, and financial services. Donovan is an avid programmer, often finding ways to integrate software into his other hobbies and activities. Other hobbies and activities, Donovan? Yeah, I would definitely categorize software as as a hobby of mine. Uh, I I never thought I could actually make a living at it. I just started doing it because I thought it was fun. Yeah. And whatever else I do, I, I race cars and now I have a, a website that actually generates revenue. Nice. And then I played air hockey and I was number 11 in the world and I wrote software for scoring and live streaming that like it was on ESPN. So what, what? no matter what I, yeah, no matter what I do, I'm like, okay, there has to be a way that I can make this better with software. So I do. Oh my God. I had, <laughs> did you tell us that last time? And I forgot because that seems like new information to me. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I, I used to talk about it a lot more. I haven't played in a while. So people are like, oh, so what do you rank now? I'm like, unfortunately, my job has kept me so busy. I haven't been in world championships and in quite some time. So I guess I've kind of downplayed it, but you can never take away that I was the 11th best air hockey player in the oh world at one God. point, but I am definitely not that good anymore. You are not batting at that level anymore? I don't know. Is it a bat? Whiffling? No, no, I don't know. Actually, I don't know what they would call it. I, I can yeah. probably beat the majority of the people on the planet, but I know the people <laughs> who can beat me very, very badly. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are friends of mine that I used to play with that are still, still very active in the sport. You know, it reminds me of Lino Tadros, who's like a squash champion, and it's something gotcha. that you'd never expect. Olympic level squash player, like yeah, nice. He was crazy good at squash. So yeah, you never see that coming. Yeah, I never. that's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. And what do you race? I have a 1997 BMW M3. Uh, nice. Okay. So I uh, I am obsessed with BMW. Yeah. Well, and especially when you strip down an M3 with that with the straight six in it, that is quite the power plant. It's so nice. Yeah, because it's it's gutted. It's funny if you're if you're sitting in the seat, it looks normal until you turn around and you realize there's nothing behind you. There's nothing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a bar in there for the four point harness, and you're in a race seat that's hurting your butt, but you're stuck in there. It's it's awesome. And so you had a soft spot for the E36s specifically, or is that just the, that was the one you could afford? At the time, I bought it brand new. It was it was kind of funny. So before I I live in Houston, Texas, and it's historically hot there. It's just like horribly, horribly hot. And I was driving a 1991 Nissan pickup with no air conditioning for six years in a place <laughs> where it's always 100 degrees, right? It was miserable. And I, had, I was working at Compact Computers at the time, and I'd say I had saved up enough money 
to where I could go buy a brand new 1997 M3. And get this, the timing was so perfect that the direct deposit went into my account that as I'm, my parents are driving me to the dealership so that I could afford to get my car, I was broke when I drove off the lot. Wow. So thank God it had a full <laughs> tank of gas. I literally could not have put gas in the car because <laughs> it funny. all, I, I got it down to the cent. Like if they do the direct deposit and then I get to the place at this time, I'll be able wow. to get my car. And I was like, oh, thank God it's full of gas because I have to wait till my next paycheck before I can put gas in this thing. <laughs> so that's why I got my M3. But you've kept that car and turned it into your race machine now. Yes. I keep all that I purchase. I, I just can't bear the thought of getting rid of any of them. So I literally bought my house because it had a four-car garage, right? That I bought the garage, yeah, and then the house just happened to be attached to it. <laughs> Literally, I, w- I remember we were looking for houses and I'm like, I think that house has a four car garage. And I turned around I'm like, holy crap. And I called my realtor. I was like, I found my house. And he's like, are you sure? Like, yes, I want to buy this house. And then we went in the next day. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just show me the garage. Like, yeah, this is my house. <laughs> it's like me with a kitchen in my house. Yeah. So I've kept it, gutted it, and it's just a, it only comes out on Sunday. So it's on a rack. I have a BMW 8 Series that sits underneath my M3. Do you put a little old lady wig on when you drive it so that... Uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to hide because it has a new exhaust on it. It's like, it's loud. You uh, you know it's meant only for the track. Yeah. No kidding. Well, last yeah, time yeah. we talked to you, Donovan, we were we were just in awe of your performance at Build, and uh, that was a while ago. Thank you. You know, for a guy who just kind of likes programming, you made it all the way to the Build stage and probably had, I think, the number one talk or the number one keynote. Thank you. It was really amazing. But since then, a lot has happened in DevOps, and we just wanted to give you a floor and Tell us what's new and what you're what you're interested in, what's really getting you going. It's interesting because I was listening to you intro me, and that's my title from the last time I was on the show, but sure. a lot has happened, actually, because that's no longer my title uh, ah, okay. at Microsoft. Yeah, so it's interesting because I used to be in the VSTS team, and I then moved over to the Azure team as a cloud developer advocate. And what was really interesting about that move, because it was, trust me, it was really hard to leave VSTS. I still, still feel like my family and I, and I always go to building 18 and hang out with them. Yeah. But it was an opportunity to become a lead. And they asked me to go build a team of like-minded people like you, like go find people like Donovan who want to get on stage and, and share our message when it comes to DevOps on Azure. The League of Extraordinary Ex- DevOps Advocates. <laughs> Advocates. Here you go. <laughs> exactly. So that's exactly what ended up happening, right? They said, you get to go pick whoever you want. And I was like, okay, I can't pass up this opportunity. Everyone in the VSTS team was like, yeah, you have to go. Go be a lead. Go build a team of people like yourself. And I just started handpicking people. And I got really, really lucky. I got Damian Brady from Octopus Deploy. Mm-hmm. I got Steven Moraski from PowerShell fame and from Chef. Then I obviously had to go get Able. Like, if you know me, you know Abel. We're, we've been best friends for 20 years. So yeah. it was just a matter of time before Abel joined my team. And then we got our missing link, right? So I was given Jessica Dean's name by a peer of mine. And you speak to this woman for just a minute and you realize, okay, you have to hire this woman. And she <laughs> just is amazingly passionate, so much energy. She knows Linux and she knew open source and she knew Kubernetes. It's like, wow, that's actually the gap that we have on our team. Right you would be a perfect member. And she loved the idea of joining the league. And yeah, it's, we've been better ever since. I've had Jess on Run As Radio. I think I actually talked to her while we were at Build. Yeah, I think so. Although it came out sometimes later. She's, yeah, she is part of your league, absolutely. 100 yeah. miles an hour. Enthusiastic <laughs> as all get out. Just 
She's a container goddess. Yes, exactly. That's a really good way of describing her. I mean, when I have, I have <laughs> on multiple occasions completely destroyed our Kubernetes cluster. And I was just like, my get out of jail free was like, she reports to me I'm like, hey, Jessica, I need your help. And next thing you know, our cluster is back up. I'm like, what ah. did I do? And then she would explain to me like what I did. And I'm like, okay, great. I won't do that again. So I broke it a different way next time. <laughs> I'm like, Jessica, what did I do this time? So I've learned by just destroying my entire cluster multiple times on how to use it correctly. Thanks to Jessica. Well, on top of that, she's just so nice. Oh, she's incredible. Yeah. We, yeah. it was interesting because- we were just like a boys club before, right? And we were getting obviously the normal flack that you get for having all men on your team. And it was like interesting because I, I had actually gone after a woman as the number one pick for the league. It was interesting. I just got to see Angela Dugan in Chicago. So she was like my first pick. A huge fan of Angela. She's awesome. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I love her so much, right? So, but she had some, some really big things cooking and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go build the best team of people I can. I went after Angela. She was unable to join. And then I literally knew I wanted to work with Damien. He had been on my show. And before he even worked at Microsoft, he reached out to me and said, dude, I love your show. I'd love to be a guest. And he was the first non-Microsoft guest on my own show. And I just listened to him and we were able to almost like agree to disagree in some areas very well. And we were able to like understand like, oh, that's a really good perspective. And I just loved the way that we were able to communicate. And I thought, man, if in the future I ever get a chance to work with this person, I think I'm going to take it. And that's the same way I met Steve Muraski. He and I did a co-present once where he was working at Chef. I was working here at Microsoft. We were trying to figure out a better together scenario. So we actually invited him to our internal conference and he and I did a presentation together. And again, it was one of those situations where you're on Skype together, you're working out your demo and you just realize that I can really work with this person. I love the way that we communicate. And I knew again in the back of my mind, I was like, if I ever get to build a team, I, I want Steve on my team. And again, Abel is Abel. There's, there's no way I build a team without him. So here we are. And then I was like, I'm just trying to build the best team I can. I wasn't looking at race. I wasn't looking at sexual orientation. And maybe I should have been, but I was just saying, let's go build the best team possible. Yeah. And then Jessica shows up and you're like, the only way I can build the best team possible is to have her on my team. Not because she's a woman, but because she is freaking incredible, right? She's just so dynamic when you meet her. She's the tiniest thing you've ever seen, but when she steps in a room, everyone notices, right? It's like she just fills the room with her passion. It's like that's it is now the best team it can be, not because she's a woman, but because she's amazing at what she does. So yeah, the league is I could not be prouder of the team that I've built. I mean, literally could not be prouder. It's awesome, dude. That's great. Yeah, and I and in, yeah, I worked with Angela at that conference this summer. We got a t- chance to hang out a little with each other. She's amazing. She's another powerhouse. Yeah. You know the other DevOps lady that I'm a huge fan of is Jessica DeVita. Oh yeah, Jessica works here at Microsoft too. Yeah, she's she's come across. She went. I think she was at Chef. She was at Chef for a while yep. as well. I I did a bunch of run of stuff down there, and she was there. Yeah, she was here, then Chef, and now she's back under Martin Woodward's team. Yep. Well, there's another DevOps guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty stock full of them here, right? I mean, even in the cloud developer advocacy, we still have Bridget works on our team as well, who's also another dynamic DevOps person. And obviously we have Jeffrey Snover, who's leading the charge from Windows in the PowerShell world and DSC. So yeah, yeah, we're, I think four or five of us made the top 100 this year. So we're really nice. proud of what we're doing here at Microsoft. I have a, maybe a naive question for you sure. guys and both of you, because Richard, you're Mr. DevOps too, but there seems like, you know, ever since cloud providers that developers have had to know a little bit more about infrastructure than they thought they'd ever have to. And and IT guys need to know a little bit more about development than they thought they'd ever have to. But I see it from the developer side that, you know, 
we don't have IT guys to go to in our companies anymore. We're expected to set up our own VMs and do our own cloud stuff. But what is it like on the IT side? Do you have as many IT people sort of getting closer to development as we do developers getting closer to IT? Absolutely. And what I like to call it is being a good DevOps citizen. And to do that, people on both sides are going to have to learn new muscles. If you look at things like continuous integration, continuous delivery infrastructure as code, these are a lot of DevOps best practices that are almost second nature to a developer. I don't think Mm -hmm. the developers have as much to learn or as many new muscles to learn. But I know a lot of operations people who have never used source control, not because it's a bad thing, it's just they've never needed to use source control. They've never been a part of a CI build. So these are concepts that they need to become familiar with because their infrastructure is now defined in a file that has to be versioned in version control and is that is acted upon as part of a CI system. So if you don't understand what these concepts are, it's time for you to understand what these concepts are because they're coming and it's just, you will not be able to compete if you are the stick in the mud that says, nope, I'm never using source control. I don't care about CI. I'm going to go log into a GUI and I'm going to click around to give you your VM. I'm like, dude, you're in our way, right? You need to be Mm -hmm. defining that VM as code, putting it inside of a repository, allowing us to have a pull request over it so we can all can review and agree that, yep, that's the capacity that I asked for. That VM looks like it's configured correctly. Thank God you were here to set up the network, right? Because as a developer, I have no idea how that's supposed to be set up, but how you were able to collaborate on what the infrastructure should be so that I'm not asking for too much. It stays within our bandwidth, but we can review it. It's not some information that only lives in the engineer's head. And if you don't know what buttons to click in the Azure portal, you can't provision a VM. That's nonsense. It should be information that we can store, we can version, we can track, and we can review. And unfortunately, what I've I've seen is that a lot of the ops people just aren't comfortable with that. So what we have to explain to them is that you need to get comfortable with this. We're not trying to take your job away from you. What we're trying to do is free you up to do your original job, right? Which is to monitoring the networks, making sure we're using our infrastructure effectively. And now you're over here installing software because developers historically have been so bad at it that we had to give it to you because you have to maintain it. But it was never your job to install software. Your job was to protect our infrastructure. And by adopting these DevOps best practices, you are now given the bandwidth back to go do what your original job was. Like go protect our infrastructure, make sure it's secure, make sure everything is running as best it can and let the pipeline scale it up, scale it out, and even patch it if need be, right? So I hope they understand that we're not trying to take their jobs away from them. We're trying to actually give them some time back so they can do right. their original job. Well, you know, as a developer, I see a lot of powerful things in a platform like Azure, especially because, you know, I was a Microsoft developer before that. But for the IT guys, I remember talking about Azure and cloud services when they first became popular. And there was always that fear, like you were just pointing out, Donovan, that, oh my God, I'm out of a job. Now developers can click and, you know, their way around stuff, provisioning stuff that I had to do myself with scripts and all this crazy stuff. Now it seems like the IT guy's job is a lot easier, but at the same time, having to support the developers with the stuff that they need in maybe a little more detail than maybe they signed up for. Is that a fair assessment? Parts of it resonates with me. Their job potentially could be a lot easier, but I don't think it's any less important. If not, it's more important than it's ever been because trust me, as a developer, I'm spinning up every M series machine I can because I know my software will run really fast on four terabytes of memory and 128 cores, right? My hello world will run really, really fast. So I'm going to spin up the biggest thing I can because then I don't have to worry about all those other things and I don't have to worry about performance. 
And operations teams like, no way in the hell I'm letting you spin that up, right? So they're still protecting our infrastructure, protecting our bank accounts from developers who are just going to spin up the biggest thing they possibly can. So I don't think it should be a free-for-all. And I think it should be a collaboration. Yeah, I might know what size VM I want, but I don't know what load balancer I need in front of it, how it needs to be set up, what the firewall needs rule needs to be, right. the security scans that need to happen. I don't know that. And as a developer, don't give a crap about that. Right, right. Just give me, give me a URL. <laughs> give me a machine where I can run my app. You make sure that the machine is secure, make sure that it's performant, make sure that it's not breaking the bank. But now you know what I need because I'm going to communicate with you. I need a place for me to run my function. I need a Docker registry and I need a, a Kubernetes cluster. Mm. Go make that happen for me. And I want you to make that happen by defining that as an ARM template or a recipe inside a chef or some type of automated fashion. I don't want it to be you go on vacation and now I can't deploy a new instance of my application. Right, right. Well, I'm going to put the IT hat on here because okay. I've spent enough time on that role. And, and I'm with you that the funny part as an IT person is you get into this crisis mode where everybody is breaking things all the time. And you're just trying to keep stuff alive. Like you're just mm -hmm. in the pounding surf. And when you're actually doing your job well, there are no fires to put out. You are doing nothing but preventative work. And so it is planned in advance, organized, no surprises, no repeats. It's just that you lose track of that. You get hooked on the rush of being on fire all the time. <laughs> and it's, I can't tell you how many IT shops I've walked into where it's like, you guys are all adrenaline junkies now. Yeah. It's been so many years of go fast, go fast all the time that you just don't have any cycles left for the things that are important but not urgent. Interesting. Mm. You know, that, that's the, the trouble you get into yeah, I, is that... There's so many important things actually in the organization. And security is the classic one. Mm. Security is only urgent when you've already failed. Yep. <laughs> when you've had a breach. Yeah, when you've had yeah. a breach. Help. And what I think is interesting too is that when you start to adopt a lot of these best practices from an IP perspective, you don't have to be reactive anymore, right? You can actually see in the pull request that the infrastructure that you're about to deploy has vulnerabilities in it or is the wrong size or is not going to perform to your expectations. And I don't have to wait till it gets out into production and upsets our end users before sure. I start correcting that for you. I can tell you right there in the pull request, guys, this isn't going to work, right? Okay. You don't think, believe me, let's deploy it to a production environment and run mm -hmm. some performance tests. And let me show you what I'm talking about. And there again, they're using the pipeline. They're using the DevOps culture to be able to validate and confirm their assumptions before they let something leak into production that's going to be catastrophic for them. Hey, guys, hold that thought right there while we take a moment for this very important message. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers for some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code .NETROCKS to get a discount. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell. And that's Donovan Brown, who I once called Damian Brady as he was walking down the hall. <laughs> because, you know, a couple of guys, DevOps, DB, 
<laughs> so I tweeted a picture of us together and said, I'm the one on the right. Shortly after you did that, it was so hilarious. <laughs> uh, I wish I was as good looking as Damian Brady. So I took it as a compliment because I, I was like, you know, I wish I looked that good. Dude, he wishes he was as good looking as you, man. What are you talking about? No, oh, whatever, man. But it was so hilarious. I'm like, no, not Damian. And that was right around the time that I was I was recruiting him to join Microsoft. He was kind of cool. It's awesome. Do, have other people confused you name wise or was it just me? It was just you. That's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> I feel special now. I don't have the accent. I don't have any of the things that, that Damien brings to the table. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no one ever has done that besides that's you. Funny. So, you're you're in an elite group. All right. There you go. Yeah, next, I mean, you might as well confuse me with Jessica. I mean, like, to me, they're that different, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Too funny. We rattle off a lot of names about folks working in the DevOps space and around VSTS and so forth. But, you know, the big news just a few months ago was Mr. Harry retiring. Yeah. Oh, it makes me sad every time you say that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a shock for me. I, I didn't see that one coming. And it was just like, you know what? I mean, you think about it, he deserves a break. <laughs> He's been here for so long. I, I mean, I've had the good fortune to spend a number of hours with him interviewing for the history of .NET before he left. And mm. just to real, you know, he never intended to stay this long in the first place, but right. he likes the problem. I mean, I don't think he's going to stay. He says he's taking a year off. It's just a sabbatical. Right. And that after a year, he's going to look, which I mean, the main thing is this is new people I and mean, Nat Friedman's put into yep. play, all of those sorts of things. I'm thinking about what will happen when he reappears, because I can't imagine him not working. But he's, you know, he's the, he is Mr. VSTS. That's why it exists. Yes, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember once when uh, he and I had a one on one and I wish I had a camera rolling but I didn't and, I, and I, that's like my biggest regret is not having a camera in that room because we were done with the one on one in about five minutes and I thought to myself I don't get his undivided attention very often hmm. so yeah. I'm not just going to give up all this time so I asked him like a softball question I just lobbed up a question about how we do deployment with VSTS and my mind was just blown by what he was explaining and how we do our database deployments and how we do our web services and how we never roll back. It can never be down. You have to deploy while it's running. I'm just like, holy crap, like, how am I not recording this, right? And we do this basically this whiteboard session for 30 minutes where Brian Harry just literally blows my mind with how technically difficult it is to do what we do by using Azure DevOps to deploy Azure DevOps. Yeah. And what it really drove home for me, and I say this in almost every conference that I say or that I present at, is that Getting DevOps right is not just getting the right tool chain in place. You may actually have to re-architect your application to move at the speed in which you want to move. Because sure. that kept being reinforced through what I'm hearing Brian Harry tell me was just like the way you do database deployments. Well, it didn't work the way we thought it was and we can't ever take it down. So even if we add new columns that have to have a data that's the combination of two other pieces, we have to figure out a way to do that while the app is running, but not using that data yet. And then keep that in sync with the old way that we're doing it, just in case the deployment doesn't go the way that we want to, and we have to turn those features off. We have to make sure that we can do that without ever taking it down. And the same thing with our web services, same thing with our front end. Every three weeks, and actually, if you really think about it, every day, we're rolling out new changes, and people are, are none the wiser that we're mm. doing it. That doesn't happen by accident. Right? No. That is a system designed to be updated while it's running and no one know that you're doing it. And you can't just put tools in place and get that type of agility. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and you sort of hinted this before the break about IT being able to figure out how much infrastructure we need to run current loads or future loads and so forth. And this, 
this is sort of an end game aspect of that practice. Like it's, you don't see it right off the bat, but the ability to put features in that are dark, that are not mm. visible to the user so that we can start to measure what their load requirements are. Potentially. Yep. We use feature flags here, or some people right. call them feature toggles, but that's exactly how we do it because a feature flag isn't on or off for everyone. You can actually turn a feature flag on for individual, an individual account, a particular region of the world. And that way we can turn that on and measure our telemetry. Is it performing yep. the way that we thought? Do we have any bottlenecks that we weren't aware of? And if we do, we can turn it back off. And as we want to, we can turn on more and more and more until we see an issue and then throttle it back down, go make a, a change, roll that back out and then turn that flag back on again which allows us to never have to roll back and which is great because rolling back is much harder than going forward and if you got going forward wrong what in the hell makes you think you're going to be able to run do the change that you couldn't even do the easy part right you're going to try to do the hard part well plus you're not the only change in the world like exactly the biggest problem with a rollback is how many things are we impacting and and if you touch the database right if you touch yeah. the database schema there is no going back right? right that's just like that is the the event horizon as far as it comes to deployment once that's changed it's full steam ahead so you better have a way to mitigate that i wouldn't say there's no way back but it's not easy yeah it's probably more importantly it's not worth it exactly so that's why i say there's no way back like you need to i think you need to be in that mindset because it's almost like going into a marriage thinking ah, i can get divorced if i need to no you need to go in there <laughs> saying this is for the rest of my life i'm committed yeah i'm all in exactly and that's the same way that i do with my database changes like look we're going with this and we're never taking this back out like we're not going to in the 11th hour, try to back this out. We're committed to this change. So we better have all of our things in place to make sure that we can re respond to it correctly. And I got to tell you, Donovan, and this happens every time you and I talk, whether in all the different mediums that we talk, you bring out the IT guy in me because you're such a dev guy. Yep. And I'm glad you're here. <laughs> We're going to code our way out of this. Like, you know yeah. what? You don't always have to code your way out of this problem. Uh. That's cool. Great. No, and I'm, and I'm glad you're here. I used to do this with David Tessar as well, because he's a 20-year ops guy. I'm a 20-year dev. And I need someone sometimes to keep me balanced, right? And keep me honest, because I think I can fix everything with code, right? And, sure. and, you, and, what, and your point is, maybe you can, but you shouldn't, or you don't have to. It's not always the most efficient way to go about it. Agreed. Agreed. So feature toggles. Yes. We came up with three modes. So it's on, it's off, or it's dark, as in I wanted you to run it, but don't show it to the user. The place where we found the dark was super useful, this was on an e-commerce site where we were experimenting with a recommendation engine. Can we recommend good things to the user? Now, we didn't need to show it to the user. What we really wanted was the computational costs hmm. because I, as an IT guy, just need to know. I, I, I don't care that it's expensive. I don't need you to optimize it. What I do need is to know how much load is involved so I can provision additional resources so we don't tip over. Interesting. So it was running... And But the suggestions it was making weren't being presented to the user, but you now... What I cared about was the load. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Just sort of a realization of like, here is the truism. And I'm, I remember I'm the old school high performance web guy, right? Survive yep. the dot-com boom, help people go faster all the time. I cannot simulate a load test as weird as humans. <laughs> <laughs> humans are weird. Right? It just, we couldn't do it. And so it wasn't until we let humans do the weird things they do to shopping carts, putting things in and taking things out and, and, and twiddling options to really understand how the recommendation engine was actually going to behave. Interesting. Or filling in a form. Oh, Absolutely. Put numbers where letters are supposed to go and you're trying to cast Donovan as an int and all hell breaks loose. 
that is such a dev thing to say. I think more in terms of I watched a guy open four copies of the same form and submit them all in different orders and wonder why it didn't work right. Uh, Interesting. Code your way out of that one. <laughs> I'm sure I could stick something in a session, see that he already has another one, disable the buttons on the other. I'm sure I could code my way out of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Disable button before you put the transaction through. It's that simple. Yeah. Exactly. Or I'll watch it in the database. Yeah, code will fix it. I'm with you, Donovan. <laughs> uh, I don't care what Richard says, man. You bunch of believers. <laughs> we have the power. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very cool. You know, you, you guys live in your happy little delusion. Oh, yeah. Here we go. No, but I, lo- I love the fact that you challenged me on that stuff, too. And that's one of the things that I loved about having Jessica and Steve on my team. Steve Moraski comes from that mindset. Strong ops guy. Absolutely. Regular on run ass. Oh my gosh. Yes. Just, yeah, he's a phenomenal. And I love the way that he's able to like talk me off the ledge and, and not only just convince me, but explain it to me where I get it. Right. It's like, okay, yeah. now I get it. You're not just correcting me and saying that's wrong. You're like, Donovan, I need you to see it like this. Right. Yeah. You need to understand these perspectives of it. And when I get that better picture, then I can go back in and I can advocate that side of the story as well. So it's funny. He doesn't actually report to me anymore. It's a little secret. He's still a member of the league, hmm. but he doesn't report to me anymore because he is now a lead himself in another organization. Wow. But we've kept exact same cadence. We still have our same one-on-ones because we both see too much value in having the other one's perspective in the way that we think, which has just been incredible. So, yeah. I just published episode 600 of Run As Radio, and he's done 12 shows with me over the years. Wow. So, he is 2% of Run As. Wow. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time for me to correct all the bad humor I've ever delivered on .NET Rocks in one fell swoop. Are you ready? It's a big rollback. Rollback <laughs> Tran at Deliver Joke. <laughs> What's really freaking me out is that you've had an open joke transaction for like the 20 years I've known you. Of course I have. <laughs> If you were me, would you commit? <laughs> Come on. Just saying. <laughs> like five good puns in one sentence. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a nice... I'm going to write that one down. That's something. <laughs> All right. It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card. Compliments of Progress Telerik to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today. Music to code by. No, <laughs> it's Telerik DevCrafts. <laughs> With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com download. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Roshni Patel from Sacramento, California. Oh, well, this is Roshni. Yeah. Soft clap for you. And Roshni just won a $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik just for being a member 
of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guests, Donovan, <laughs> not Damien, <laughs> if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? It's sad. You know what I would actually buy? I would buy a freaking iPad. Really? Because I have a I have an amazing green screen set up at my house. I tweeted it the other day. I mean, I can do really amazing green screen. And I have a teleprompter that uses either an iPhone or an iPad. And I used an iPhone for my last series and I'm like giving up. So when you see these videos, you'll know that, oh, he, he used his iPhone for that. Right. Because my teleprompter the text was like in the lower left corner of my teleprompter. So my eye line is not perfectly at the camera. And unfortunately, we were in such a time crunch, I had to ship it that way. And I'm just like kicking myself. It's like, that's it. Ah. I'm ordering an iPad so that my teleprompter text is going to be dead center right in front of the lens. And I'll be able to make a really good eye line when I shoot green screen at my home. But oh, cool. it's just fantastic having I have a, an entire iPhone based system at my house or ios i have a teleprompter that runs ios a remote control that controls my camera which is an iphone 10 shooting at 4k and the results i get are just insanely good so you might be interested in sling studio do you hear me talking about that no i was listening to that it's yeah i heard you and that was sounded very very interesting and i also kicking myself because i told james montemagno about a year and a half ago we should write that app and now i'm uh, gonna say i told you so <laughs> yeah. we didn't do it and i told you so man this is because i have all these old phones and again going back to racing cars you put them in really odd areas and you want them to all start or stop at the same time right you don't want to be outside turning on all these phones and then run in and try to strap yourself into your harness and then take off and then hop out and turn off all these stupid phones and then yep. have to go home and sync them. To be able to put them in really odd but cool places like pointing at your, your suspension or down at your feet and then being able to just push a button, take off, and then push the nut and button to stop them. That's what I wanted and now I can go buy it. But James and I should be selling it. So, yeah, I'm going to give James a hard time for that one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. We're big James Montemagno fans, as you know. So am I. Yeah, yeah. so am I. Yeah, he's bananas. He is bananas. He's bananas. <laughs> <laughs> we just had him on not that long ago. Yep. Yeah, I just saw him today. Uh, we were in here filming a, a special event today. Yeah, so I got to hang out with him a little bit today. He's always always a pleasure. We actually did a tour together for two weeks down in South America. We were kind of on a DevOps mobile talk tour together, nice. and I really got to know him there. It was really awesome. He's good people. We, we first met him on a tour, on a Donna Rocks tour. He came along as well. Yeah, he told me yeah. that story. Yeah. Actually, he yeah. told me that story when we were down there. Yeah. He was a fresh recruit. He's brand new. He had no <laughs> idea. And he figured he was running with two old guys. And then he found out. <laughs> we got a lot of experience doing long runs. And, uh, you know, it, we're pretty difficult to wear out. That's awesome. But he was so cool. He just fit right in. Yeah, he fits. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the gang. No two ways about it. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. He and I see each other a lot backstage at at Scott Goo events, right? It was funny. I was like, every time I turned around, there was James. I'm like, who is? Because I didn't know him until after we acquired Xamarin, right? And then the next thing I know, I'm at Connect, and there's James backstage. I'm like, who is this kid? And then I'm at Build, and there's James backstage. I'm like, why are you everywhere I go? And I go to Ignite, and there's James backstage. I'm like, okay, let's talk because you're everywhere I freaking look. There's James Montemagno. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, he's awesome. Well, yeah, and, you know, there's a reason that you and, and James get picked as Goo's demo folks. 
Like, it's not an accident. <laughs> Mr. Guthrie has impeccable tastes. Right. Oh, I appreciate that. And he can have, and everybody in, in the company will demo for him. So there's a yep. reason he picks you two a time and time again. Yeah, we were talking about that today. I was talking to Jamie Cool, who used to be my manager, and he's like, how you doing? I was like, yeah, I'm tired because... I'm about to be in three different countries in less weeks, right? So like, and it's just like, I'm going to be all over the world. And I'm, I kind of just want to do the keynotes for Scott, right? That's, that's what I only want to do three keynotes a year. <laughs> I want to do my 10 minutes for Scott and I don't want to talk anymore. It's just like, it's so much work. It looks so much more glamorous on Twitter yes. dude, than it really is. I'd choose the same thing. All right. Yeah. I can do Scott's. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, and I was telling Jamie that that moment when I see the DevOps slide come up, he hasn't even said my name yet. The hair on my arms is starting to stand up. I can feel my heart starting to pump. And he'll say a couple more sentences. And then he says, I'd like to invite Donovan Brown on stage. And then the handler pushes your back. <laughs> that moment, <laughs> that moment in time is just like, it's so intense and it's so amazing. And then you huh. just go out there and there's 6,000. I actually have, I think the biggest we've done together is 18,000 people. So wow. you step wow. out and there's 18,000 people looking at you and it's such a rush. So right now I am already geeking out over Ignite that's coming because yeah. 25,000 people. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Unfortunately, I don't know of a single place we've been that could sit all of them. And that's what I want, right? I want everyone there at once. So I can just say, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Well, I mean, that's a... That's a stadium, right? I mean, you're literally <laughs> talking about a stadium. Exactly. Yeah. And I can't wait till we do that because that'll be awesome. Uh, well, uh, it, we'll have to see. The conference center, the, the Orlando conference center is enormous, but it doesn't yeah. have a room that big. It doesn't. Yeah. I think the cool, we did one in Atlanta where the Atlanta Hawks play. So we were in their basketball arena. That one was pretty cool yeah. too. Because you're thinking, man. That's the kind of numbers you're talking. No toys, an arena. Right. It, and we also did the MGM Grand in Vegas. And I think we had a lot of people in there too. And you're thinking like you're walking down the corridor and you see Beyonce and all these other people who have performed on that exact same arena. You realize this is unbelievable that I'm going to go down there and you look up and there's all these amazing people looking down at you, all excited to hear what you have to say. It's like, man, yeah. no wonder rock stars do what they do. It's just, it's intoxicating. It's a rush. No question. It is. It is. Speaking as a rock star, I can completely concur. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> but it is a Performing is a rush. Even yes, if it's it for, is. you know, a thousand people. Yeah, and I think that's what you have to look at it as. It's a performance, right? Abel and I had dinner the other night, and he said it's theater when we're on stage, right? It's not you up there doing a demo. It's you up there entertaining and educating these people. And if you don't look at it that way, I think it shows in your work, right? Like, you're just up there clicking the buttons. Like, you need to, like, be excited that you're up there. Like, entertain me while you're up there. And that's right. what I try to do when I go out on stage. And it sounds like it's working from what I'm hearing from you all, which is fantastic, because yeah. it takes a lot of work and a lot of rehearsals to where... You say those words so often that you don't want to say them anymore. Like you're so sick of hearing these sentences in your head. But then when it comes off and, it, and everyone enjoys it, you're like, that's, that's why I was did it. Dude, you put together an entire infrastructure in what, 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, that was software though, right? So I'm, I was, Rich is going to be mad at me, but I just wrote See, some Richard? software that stood up the See? entire infrastructure. <laughs> I'm with you, man. <laughs> well, so that's all that was. My concern is that, you know, this, while I don't disagree that the continuous integration, continuous delivery side, making that pipeline really work, does a lot of good things for the organization as a whole, does a lot of good things for increasing software quality. 
I just sure. don't want to neglect the the rest, the instrumentation, the error capture and feedback systems, like those parts, which I do feel some some ways are more IT-ish because they are measurements in production. Those are important. They are. Without question. Yeah. And I, and I hope that nothing that I've said has led anyone to believe that I don't agree with you 100%. Like even in the definition of DevOps that we have here at Microsoft, value is the most important word of that sentence, mm-hmm. not software, mm-hmm. not automation. It's about delivering value continuously to our end users. And if you don't monitor your app while it's running in production, you have no idea if you're delivering value or not. So the measure of value happens in production. Mm. Absolutely. And I agree with you 100% there. So yes, but software is awesome. <laughs> Programmers rule. <laughs> software rules. <laughs> well, and certainly, you know, speeding up that cadence is what allows us to provide, well, so many pain points that go away when you're pushing constantly so that you're only making little changes. I agree with that. And I think it's also is that if you have to do it more often, you're more likely to fix the problem. Sure. I know a lot of people who are like, oh man, our deployments are really painful. So we only do them every six months. Right. I'm like, that's funny. You know why it's painful? Because you only do them every six months, yeah. right? Like it's the problem is not the solution. You need to go and do it more often. And trust me, if I punched you in the arm once a year, you'd be upset. If I punched you in the arm every day, you'd make me stop. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I don't know. And that's exactly what you want to do with your deployment. Do it so often that the stuff that hurts, you're going to go fix. Yeah. Well, and as an operations guy, I've had devs, you know, yelling at me about why are you such an obstacle to be deploying this feature? Because you only right. push stuff out every three months. So if you screw this up, it's going to take me three months to get it fixed. And that's yeah. unacceptable. Mm. I am measured in the value that I provided the customer here. And you're going to screw that up for me. So, you know, it's interesting because people always say, Donovan, why are we struggling? Why are our ops teams and our developers not collaborating? And it's because they're incentivized differently. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You just said it right there. It's like, no, I am actually rewarded by having the system up. Yeah. And they're rewarded by basically changing everything. Pushing new features out. Exactly. And if we're not aligned on the same goal and not rewarded the same way, why would we ever work together? I'm going to do what gets me rewarded, even if that means stopping you from doing what you do to get rewarded. Oh, no, that my highest risk factor to uptime is your new software. Exactly. Very clear. (laughs) Exactly. If you don't change anything, it won't break. It will be just fine, right? (laughs) Exactly. Both of us are misincented there. Right. Exactly. The incentive should be the same for the both of you. And you're you're going to instantly start working together because you both want that big bonus. You want the recognition and you can't get it without the other one. But today, so many organizations are set up that I can get my bonus and I can get those accolades without helping you. And that is the the crux of the problem. Sure. You got to incentivize them the same. Yeah, it's that's a new thing for IT guys. Right, Richard, because they're used to the measure of you as an IT guy doing your job is that nothing breaks. It's uptime. Yep. Yeah. It's uptime. But the measure of a developer doing their job is a shipping party. Yeah. New features. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't do this. We did this in Channel 9 one time, you and I, Donovan, where it's like my whole discussion as a consultant in a DevOps practice to an organization is when to throw the party. Yep, I remember that. I still use that. Yeah. It's a great conversation because I throw yep. the party when we push the code over to ops to deploy. It's like, hey, deploy this. We're going to get a beer. That's not a good time. <laughs> it's <laughs> time for pizza party. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not, that's not right. <laughs> like, that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, after they deploy it, not still not right. Right. You know, the real metric to me when we throw the party is when we can show value. Correct. 
Mm. So it's after the customer is using it and we've measured it meaningfully. Yeah, and I think that's what uh, Martin Woodward and I were on, I think one of your shows together, and it was interesting how Martin said, our new definition of done is monitored in production. Right. Right. You're not done until we're getting telemetry from that feature showing that it has actually safely landed in production. Until then, you're not done. It's not code complete. It's not code coverage. It is being monitored in production. Okay, now you can mark that as done. Right. It, it's pretty neat how it changed that mindset. That's a good done. So let me take it mm. one step further. Okay. With this particular commerce organization I worked with for years, and we were now at a point where the team was working so tightly that we would hypothesize the value of a feature. Mm -hmm. And our goal is this many users using it at this particular, and this was e-commerce life. So we were literally talking about dollar return on features. Sure. And when we get past this trash, like, I want to celebrate that we do it, but that's just a beer. But we really party when we get past that threshold. And we think we can do it in six weeks. Hmm. Right, And so now, what I loved about that mindset is devs also often, as soon as the check-in passed, you know, or as soon as it's gotten deployed, if you're thinking more broadly, you're happy with it. But to actually watch the return of utilization on the feature that you care about this, because it affects what we're doing on Friday, why aren't they using it? Right. What are they not understanding? Like, what did we miss? Right. Is the navigation not intuitive? How can we drive traffic? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And what's interesting there... You can get the entire organization there. Do we need more marketing budget behind this, mm -hmm, right? This mm -hmm. isn't a dev and an ops problem. This is a business problem, yep. right? Mm -hmm. we, we did what we thought was the most important and they're not using it, right? You build it and they will come or they're not coming. So like, what do we do as an organization? Not as a dev, not as an ops, not as marketing, but as an organization to move the needle on that usage. And that goes back to the fact that you have to be monitoring it, right? If you don't monitor it, you don't know if any of the stuff that you do moves the needle or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, yeah. That, and that's the truth. And suddenly all of those other skill sets become valuable. Yep. All too often we just see them as necessary noise to us being able to write code. <laughs> and they're actually all valuable in the success for the customer. Yeah. No, agreed. It's all about delivering value. I keep going back to that. And that's why value is in our definition and not software and features. Because sure. at first it was software. And I thought, you know what? That's not what we're trying to deliver. What we are trying to deliver is value. Because I can deliver you a lot of software that does nothing. Exactly. And that's the wrong <laughs> metric. Yeah. And that is the wrong metric to be looking at. Sure. Donovan, what is in your inbox? What's next for you, sir? I am about to go on a whirlwind tour. I'm in Seattle at the moment. I was in Chicago last week. I will be in Ohio. I will be in Sarajevo. I will be in Poland. Wow. Wow. I will be in Florida. I will then be back in the Netherlands and then back in New Orleans and nonstop, right? So this is the last time my feet will be on the ground for more than like 10 hours <laughs> before I'm back on a plane. So it's going to be a very busy couple of weeks. And I have Abel working on some cool stuff. Like, we're going to probably have to have another show because there were two things I wanted to talk about that we haven't even had a chance to get to yet. So we're going to definitely have to have me back. I want to talk about the rebranding of Visual Studio Team Services, which will be launching here really, really soon. Cool. And also there's this new variation introduced to me by Dynatrace called the Unbreakable Pipeline. Hmm. And I worked really closely with them. I had Abel go off and write some cool extensions for VSTS to bring that concept over to our tooling and our platform too. So that'll be a, a really cool talk as well. Wow, that's great. So is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, actually two other things I think would be worth talking about. One is VSTS, which used to be called VSO, 
which is before that called VSTS, is actually now being called (laughs) Azure DevOps as it moves closer and closer to Azure, which I think is really exciting. So by the time this is aired, we should all be talking about Azure DevOps instead of VSTS. There's a lot of cool things that have happened as part of this. It wasn't just a a rebranding of the name. We're really doubling down on our open source commitment. Mm -hmm. Anyone who wants to use Azure DevOps now can get free Azure building with with Azure DevOps, you get 10 concurrent pipelines and unlimited minutes on those. So you can just build to your heart's content as long as it's open and, nice. and a public project, which is fantastic. And you're going to be able to finally build on Mac, Windows, and Linux without having to have multiple YAML files. It was interesting. I, I tweeted this the other day. I was going through, I forget what project I was looking at, but when I looked into the GitHub repo, I was like, huh, why do they have two YAML files? And then I looked at their badges and I realized they had one for AppVayer and one for Travis. And they needed that to get to Mac on one and then Linux and Windows on the other. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Don't they know that they can get like all three platforms with one YAML file? Why are people doing this? And I just think people don't know that, right? There's like, we have an awareness problem that people just don't know that we give you Mac, Windows, and Linux hosted. And you can use a single YAML file to be able to go back in and build across all three of them. So that's really exciting. That is exciting. And we also allow you to use as much or as little of Azure DevOps as you want. In the past, when you got a VSTS account, you got all the features. And sometimes the navigation could feel a little overwhelming, I guess is the right word. And if you're doing a GitHub project where your source code is already stored in GitHub, you might already be using GitHub issues to track feature requests and bugs. You don't need work item tracking and Git support inside of Azure DevOps. All you want are the pipelines. And what's really cool now is you can literally say, this is the only feature I want. And we completely streamline your experience to where all you see are pipelines now. Hmm. Pipelines all the way down. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to use us and Ansible and GitHub, you don't have to be bombarded with all the other navigation to features you're not using. And if you want to use us for work item tracking and for testing, but not for pipelines and work item I mean, and Git, you can do that as well. Like you can mix and match the features that come from Azure DevOps with what you're currently using today, which is really nice. That's awesome, Donovan. Thanks. So if I understand the way you're describing that then, I could have an existing project that I'm already operating in GitHub with issues and so forth, totally happy, and then be able to add Azure DevOps to it. Yeah, we would be probably adding what we call Azure Pipelines, which is just a sub feature of Azure DevOps. And it's actually in the GitHub Marketplace. So if you go to the GitHub Marketplace and type in CI, you'll see us alongside all the other CI systems that are out there. So, and we just be able to click on it, add it to your account, auth really quick with your, with your GitHub, just basically giving Azure DevOps permission to see your GitHub repos, and then you'll be able to start setting up pipelines and building on Mac, Windows, and Linux, 10 of them at a time if you'd like, and then we'll all run them in parallel for you. That's great. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And the other thing that I think is really cool is I was talking to my friends at Dynatrace, and they were introducing me to this concept called the unbreakable pipeline. And Dynatrace is a monitoring company. And we've all known about config as code and infrastructure as code. And it's like, well, why don't you have monitoring as code? Yeah, right. Why can't I define the metrics in which I want to monitor and the thresholds in which I want to be alerted on in a text file and then commit it to a repository and have my monitoring respond to that file? Like, that's that's an awesome idea. It says, we're even taking that a step further. We're having our pipeline as the code gets deployed from one environment to the other, comparing and reading those values and saying, When I moved to QA, did my performance go up or go down? Am I having Mm -hmm. more server errors? Are any of the metrics that I'm watching triggering any of those thresholds? And if so, roll back my entire environment for me. 
And when they showed me this, I was just completely geeking out like, this is freaking awesome. But it was only working on AWS with Jenkins and some really, they put it all together themselves. But I was like, hold on, man. I know we can do this on VSTS at the time and Mm. Azure. And I think we can actually do it much easier because release management has in a lot of the features that you had to go figure out how you're going to deal with running those release gates and how you're going to deal with the time is like we have that like built into the platform. All we need to do is take your file and commit it to our repository and run with it. And that's exactly what I had able to. So I, on, on air, I'm basically committing able to go write all this cool stuff. And then after the call, I'm like, oh, able, by the way, <laughs> you got to go figure out how to make this stuff work on uh, VSTS and Azure. And he went back and two weeks later, we had this amazing working product. And there's a, an extension now that gives you the release gates that you need and all the functionality so that you can have an unbreakable pipeline using Azure DevOps and App Insights and Azure as well as using it with Dynatrace, which is awesome. So cool. I know Dynatrace, they're like one of the original instrumentation solutions way before even Azure existed. Yep. Priced accordingly, like it was not an inexpensive product, although I think a lot of that has changed as they become much more of a SaaS style solution in which you know, they get to build differently with. Correct, correct. And that, and they, that concept that they came up with is universal, right? You do, it's not a Dynatrace-specific solution, which I thought was really interesting. It's just a concept of being able to have your monitoring as we are wanting with everything else in my repository and monitored, and I can review it with a pull request and commit it to my pipeline and have actions taken thanks to the configuration that I've set. Sure. And all the Dynatrace components have always been a part of the Azure Marketplace as far as I can recall. What we actually did for them is the extension that Able developed was developed in open, and then the repository is actually owned by Dynatrace, who has now taken responsibility and ownership of that extension. So it will be continued to be maintained and improved by Dynatrace going forward, which is nice too. So they're definitely represented in our marketplace. Cool. Awesome. Oh, I found Abel's blog post about the unbreakable pipeline in BSTS and Azure. Yeah, it's a great read. And it actually has links back to Dynatrace's original thought process on the unbreakable pipeline as well. Awesome. Cool deal. Cool stuff, man. Thanks. That's awesome. And before we go, I just want to mention a plug, and I'm going to talk about this on next week's Geek Out. Donovan, you'd like this because it's going to be using all the video cameras and the Sling Studio and all that. Cool. That we're doing, and by we, I mean the Franklin Brothers Band, is producing an online-only concert that you can only watch on YouTube live. Oh, cool. Yeah, so rather than, you know, inviting a bunch of people and doing a concert and having people buy tickets, we're going out to the world. You can go to live.pwop.com, but here's the thing. It's a Steely Dan tribute night. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if you're a Steely Dan fan, you'll hear a great Steely Dan set with, you know, the Franklin Brothers Band, Great Horns and all that stuff. And, of course, some of our originals and things, but you can only get tickets online, and it's at live.pwop.com. So I'm hoping some .NET Rocks listeners will show up and uh, interact with us because Ben Parent from the River Gods is going to be emceeing. He's going to be looking at your comments and then asking us questions during the breaks between the songs. Very cool. So this is our first big sort of live, really well-produced event and i'm looking forward to it it's right after we come back from ndc <laughs> well, well best of luck with that <laughs> yeah thanks thank you donovan it's been great talking to you and really it's been great listening to you and richard sort of talking about the the sides of devops and the stuff that you guys are doing at microsoft always a pleasure yeah it's always a pleasure and you definitely have to come back oh yeah i'd love to anytime I prioritize your meetings higher than most, so you should... Uh, flattered. Just l- lean on me whenever you can. Lean on me whenever you want to. You bet, man. 
All right, thanks again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.